opinionated analysis of every KISS release. I am your host, Ryo V. Thanks for taking the time to join me today for Episode 3, Dressed to Kill. Before we get into the album analysis, a few things I'd like to address. If you like the podcast, please subscribe to the show. And if you haven't done so already, please leave a review on iTunes. Positive iTunes reviews go a long way towards helping other KISS fans find this podcast. If you have comments, you want to provide some feedback, or you just want to reach out to me regarding the podcast in general, you can reach me at psychocircuspodcast at gmail.com. That's psychocircuspodcast at gmail.com. In future episodes, I plan to read some of the emails at the start of each show. So this is Episode 3, Dress to Kill. So let's get into the album analysis. Dress to Kill was released on March 19th, 1975 on Casablanca Records. It was the third release by Kiss on this label. Band members for this album were Paul Stanley on rhythm guitar and lead vocals, Ace Frehley on lead guitar, Gene Simmons on bass guitar and lead vocals, and Peter Chris on the drums and vocals. The album was produced by Neil Bogart, the first album that Neil produced for KISS. Track listing for Dress to Kill is as follows. Uh, Room Service, followed by Two Timer, Ladies in Waiting, Get Away, Rock Bottom, Come On and Love Me, Anything for My Baby, She... Love Her All I Can, and Rock and Roll All Night closed it out. So that's the track listing from the latest remastered disc. Uh, For those who have this on vinyl and or cassette, uh, then there would be a side one and a side two, with side one ending with Rock Bottom, and side two starting with Come On and Love Me. Uh, So let's talk about the album cover for Dress to Kill. This is a really cool album cover. Uh, and it's much better than the Hotter Than Hell album cover. Those of you who listened to episode 2 know how I feel about the Hotter Than Hell album cover. Uh, but Dress to Kill featured members of KISS dressed in three-piece suits with their full makeup on, of course. Peter's on the far left with his hands behind his back. Ace is next to him. He has one foot resting on uh looks like a street lamp pole. Paul's next to Ace, with one arm dangling over Ace's shoulder. And Gene's on the far right, with a hand near his crotch and a huge grin on his face. Uh, I guess we'll say that's just Gene being Gene. Uh, Peter, Paul, and Ace have black suits on, while Gene's is its an off-color brown or khaki or pop, if you will. Um, 
And, of course, Gene's pants also look too small for him. <laughs> if you look closely, you can see he's got the uh, the floods on as far as the suit pants go. Uh, and this is due to the fact that Gene, as well as Ace and Paul, they didn't own any suits at the time uh, this, this album cover was shot. The band was still struggling. They hadn't made any money, and they definitely didn't own any suits, uh, except for Peter, who owned one suit. Uh, and that's the one he's wearing in the picture. Uh, so Ace, Gene, and Paul had to borrow suits from manager Bill, o Bill O'Coin uh, for the photo shoot. So uh, that's why we have uh, Gene looking the way he does with the two short suit on. Um, but the Peter, or excuse me, Paul and Ace, the suits seem to fit them fine. But those three suits are Bill's. Um, this photo was taken by Bob Groon on 23rd and 8th in New York City. And as far as the first three albums go, I'm, I'm going to say that Dress to Kill has the coolest album cover of the first three records. I like the idea, and I've always thought that the uh, album cover was pretty innovative, um, especially for the time. If you search for outtakes on Google, you'll also see some other cool photos that were taken during the t that time. As I was prepping for this podcast, I did some research, and there there are a lot of good outtakes um, from this photo shoot with Kiss uh, dressed up in suits walking around New York City. And uh, I can only imagine what the people at the time thought as they walked by and saw that. I mean, Kiss was not a nationally known act just then. Um, they probably weren't even hugely popular in New York City. I mean, that's probably where they had the most of their following, but they weren't the conglomerate that they would come to be. So imagine walking down the street and seeing somebody dressed in a suit with this weird circus clown makeup on. People maybe thought it was a shoot for a circus or something, but uh, very interesting at the time. Uh, so Dress to Kill is the third Kiss album. And it contains what is without dispute their biggest and most well-known song. Um, Rock and Roll All Night is the de facto staple Kiss song. Any fan of rock music, ask any fan of rock music to name a Kiss song, and they'll say Rock and Roll All Night. Ask any fan of music if they've heard the song, and they'll probably tell you yes. Uh, released in March of 75, Dress to Kill is the last of the original trilogy albums. Kiss were, they were young, they were hungry, they were still developing um, their sound and their style on these first three albums. The songs from this time period are classics that were never repeated. Most of the songs on the first three albums uh, are some of the best music the band ever recorded. But at the time of the release, they were largely ignored, and they wouldn't get recognized. Um, they wouldn't get any recognition. They wouldn't get any notoriety until much later in their career. Uh, like the self-titled debut and Hotter Than Hell, Dress to Kill would not be certified gold until 1977, when Kiss was reaching the peak of their fame, and they had just crazed, insane fans that were gobbling up anything Kiss. Uh, Dress to Kill peaked at number 32 on the Billboard 200, and it was the highest charting Kiss album to date at the time. So they did get some traction with Dress to Kill, but nowhere near the mega success that they would go on to have with Alive and Destroyer. And just like the two previous albums, 
the songs on Dress to Kill are short, fun bursts of music uh, with pretty simple lyrics and basic song song structures. It's verse, chorus, verse. It's the pattern for um, for almost all the songs. Three out of the four members sing on the record, uh, Ace obviously being the one who doesn't, and three out of the four members wrote songs for this record. Um, Peter did not get credited for any songwriting, even though he does sing the lead vocals on Getaway, but Ace wrote that one, and um, as mentioned, Ace was still not singing lead vocals as he would not until the release of Love Gun. So let's start our uh, track-by-track analysis for Dress to Kill. And we'll begin with the opening track, which is Room Service. This was written by Paul Stanley, and the vocals were also handled by Paul Stanley. And here's an unexpected surprise, a Kiss song about sex. You didn't see that one coming. And yet we still love the song, and we love the album. Uh, Throughout the first three records, I'd say about 90% of the songs were sex-related. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, early 70s, uh, Kiss was rock and roll. They were trying to uh, make a name for themselves, release songs that, uh, you know, fans would get into, but they didn't know who their fan base was yet. So probably young men, um, you know, or teenage boys. And and what do young men and teenage boys love? Sex. So singing about sex wasn't uh, wasn't a horrible thing for those first three albums. Uh, what is noticeable is that the lyrics started to improve with Dress to Kill, and they even got a little lengthier for this record. Um, and again, those of you that listened to episode two, Hotter Than Hell, uh, you know how I feel about Kiss's ability with lyrics in the early years. Even in the later years, but we'll get to that when we get to those podcasts, when we get to those episodes. Um, But Room Service has multiple verses, which compared to some songs on the first two albums, is huge in its own right. Uh, Lyrics about underage girls do pop up again. Um, As one of the lines goes, a sweet 16, looking hot and mean, says, I wish you would. And I'm not going to sing it for you because you're not tuning in to hear me sing Kiss songs. At least I hope not. Um, but in the 70s, you know, that was maybe that was the thing. You know, going for the younger girls. I don't know. I was two years old when this record came out. And um, I've always enjoyed uh, the company of older women. But, you know, Kiss they were in their uh, early 20s at the time. So a sweet 16 looking hot and mean. I guess that was pretty cool. And A, if I'm a teenage boy listening to this, as I was, uh, I was in high school when uh, when I got dressed to kill. I think freshman year of high school. Um, so yeah, Sweet 16 looking hot and mean was great to me. So uh, even, even many years after the initial release, the songs were still relating to, uh, to the young male audience that made up most of, their, most of their fan base. The next song on the album is Two Timer. And this was written by Gene Simmons, and it's sung by Gene Simmons. Um, And this is another sex song by Gene Simmons. Although, this was a little different than most of his sex songs, as this one is about a woman cheating on him. And that's very rare for a Gene Simmons song, as his confidence and ego uh, usually wouldn't allow for even a thought that someone would cheat on him. I mean, he's Gene Simmons. But uh, at the time it was released, you know, maybe his ego wasn't 
as um, vivacious as it is these days, you know wasn't as huge as it is now um so for him to be able to even put together a song like two timer uh you know that talks about someone cheating on him is is walks away from his ego a little bit and uh this is probably because it's it's the young gene um two timer has a terrific bass line and it's got uh, great riffs from ace and um the song would finally appear on a live record when Kiss released You Wanted the Best, You Got the Best in 1996, which was a compilation of tracks from um, Alive and Alive 2 and then unreleased songs that they had recorded during the Alive and Alive 2 era uh, that they threw on to You Wanted the Best, You Got the Best to kind of make a full, not a full live album, but a, a, a full live greatest hits i guess it was for the reunion tour so it was another promo piece that they threw together um so the fans would have something to to purchase and to listen to as they got ready for the reunion tour uh, presumably um i believe two timer was played a lot during the dress to kill tour and uh, personally i think it's a fantastic song that just got lost over the years and over the many many releases that kisses had i've always liked gene's voice on two timer and i think early gene did some of the best vocals of his career and that just could be because his voice was younger um you know in look a 60 year old gene is not going to sing the same way as a 20 year old gene i get that um and you know the first few albums um i'd have to look it up to know the exact age but gene was in his early 20s so he was definitely going to sound better than he did on later albums um lyrically for two-timer there's not much going on but this is early kiss so so that's what we got the next track up is Ladies in Waiting, and this was also written by Gene Simmons, and vocals were also handled by Gene Simmons. And this is a Gene Ego song about ladies waiting to get laid, presumably by Gene Simmons. <laughs> this song could also be about prostitution, as Gene sings about the selection uh, being inviting and the meat looking good at the market. Um, but the more I, I think about this and, and the more I think that it, this is not really the case, um, as I don't think Gene would pay for sex, especially when he didn't have the kind of money he has today. Now, this could be an homage to the ladies of the night, the sex workers. This could be his ode to them. Um, you know, in New York City, maybe he walked by them a lot and said, oh, boy, those ladies are looking fine, you know, but for whatever reason, lack of money or, or uh, not thinking it's morally right or or just not wanting to pay for it, he, he didn't go through and have sex with prostitutes. Um or, you know, this could be ladies lined up after a concert that Gene's going to have his choice of. But again, I don't think all that debauchery really happened until a couple years after the release of Dress to Kill. Um, you know, 76, 77, 78, Kiss was at the height of her fame. Gene was, was uh, supposedly getting any woman that he wanted, um, and supposedly there were several of them. Um, but again, that came a couple years later. So, Ladies in Waiting could be about ladies at a concert, it could be about sex workers and prostitution, or it could be ladies waiting for Gene. Um, you know, I guess it's really up to 
um, listener interpretation. Uh, I'm, I'm still undecided after listening to the song several times and, and reading the lyrics. I am still undecided. Uh, the song itself's okay. It's one of the weaker tracks on the record, possibly the weakest. But that's I'm not saying it's a bad song. Ladies in Waiting is still a solid song, but when there's so many good choices, there's one song that has to be the worst. And so, sadly, Ladies in Waiting is the worst song on Dress to Kill. Again, doesn't mean it's a bad song, just the worst song on Dress to Kill. Next up is Getaway, and this was written by Ace Freely, and the vocals were handled by Peter Chris. And I've often wondered what this song would sound like if Ace was singing lead. Um, he's the one who wrote it, and while Peter does a great job on the vocals, I've always been curious what Getaway would sound like with Ace doing the vocals um as far as i know ace has never played this during his solo tours um definitely not when i've seen him in concert um and i don't even know how much live play getaway really got it's probably something i should have looked up before recording this uh, podcast so apologies uh send me an email if you know the answer uh send me an email if you want to tell me i'm lazy and i should look this stuff up before podcasts um you know any constructive criticism that you want to send my way i'm open to it because obviously i want to try and produce the best kiss podcast there is and you know hope that everybody will come back and listen to it again and again, so by all means, um, psychocircuspodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> um, so uh, there's another amazing guitar solo in the center of Getaway. Um, and like most of the solos during this era, it is short, but it's still fantastic. And then lyrically, this is the deepest Kiss song of the time. Now, that's not to say it has the most lyrics or the most poetic lyrics, um, but it is, it is a very deep song. While the majority of the songs on the first three records were about sex or drugs or rock and roll or sex or sex, <laughs> Getaway is a deep introspective look at leaving and wondering if it's time to move on or stay behind. Now, this could be the first thoughts that Ace had of doing a solo career and leaving KISS, although the timing doesn't really seem right. Um, again, the band hasn't exploded. They hadn't taken off yet. Um, but maybe Ace was thinking that the band just wasn't going to make it, and so maybe it is time to get away. Um, when you really stop and think about it and consider it, KISS was on the verge of getting dropped by Casablanca when this song was was recorded. Their first two albums hadn't sold well. The live performances weren't drawing well. Management and the record label were on the verge of bankruptcy. And Bill O'Coin was financing the band on his credit card, which was either at max or near max. So it was, it was a tough time for Kiss as a band. And if Ace was contemplating leaving the band to just go on to something else... Uh, that would be understandable. You know, keeping all that in mind, it's easy to understand why Ace may have contemplated leaving. Or he may have just been talking about leaving New York City for, for a quieter life. Um, but he realizes he has no money, so how is he going to leave? 
Fortunately for him, uh, he hung in there, and the fortune and fame did come soon after. Next song up is Rock Bottom. This was written by Paul Stanley and Ace Frehley, and Paul handles the vocals on this. And Rock Bottom is the first song that shows Kiss branching out and trying some experimentation with the guitar intro. That uh, that really nice guitar intro that lasts for maybe just under a minute before the song kicks in. Um, I've always loved that rock bottom intro. Um, and this, this song also strays slightly from the verse-chorus-verse structure. And as fabulous as Rock Bottom is, it really didn't get a lot of live play until the reunion tour in 96. Um, Although it is featured on a live. And as I said, my favorite part of Rock Bottom is that great guitar intro uh, by Ace Frehley on the double neck. Um, It's a great slow build that bleeds right into the kicking drums, the lyrics, and the heavier part of the song. And when Paul blasts out, I can't wait a day. I don't care what you say. It, it, to me, it's just pure heaven to the ears. Uh, Rock Bottom is its a fantastic track. It's one of the best on Dress to Kill. And it could even be one of the best of the era. Um, top five for sure. Uh, you know, If you look at just the first three albums... Um, just the studio versions, and you were to put together a top five list for those three albums, I have a feeling that Rock Bottom would be on the top five list, maybe maybe near the top, maybe even number one. Um, you know, I haven't done this type of analysis as far as you know what I think is the best song, uh, top five songs from the first three albums, but and, and I won't do that (laughs) but uh excuse me but i do think that um rock bottom is is one of the greatest songs from that time period uh next up is come on and love me this was written by paul stanley and the vocals were also handled by paul stanley uh this is a great paul stanley classic with wonderful guitars and, of course, it's another song about sex. <laughs> this one's about a woman that saw Paul's picture in a music magazine and told him how much she wants him. And Paul tells her not to hesitate. She can do what she please, what she pleases. Um, and he wants her to come on and love him. <laughs> By the time we get to come on and love me, we can see that the lyrics are starting to evolve a little. And I know that sounds funny after, you know, mentioning that this is just another song about sex. And yes, this song is still about Kiss's favorite subject, sex. And yes, there are only two verses. But watching the progression from the first album uh, through this album, through Dress to Kill we can see the evolution of the lyrics taking place and getting deeper. Uh, Kiss still wasn't going to win any lyric awards. Um, They weren't going to win any awards at all. They were having trouble winning fans. Um, But it it is neat to see how the songs progress from album to album 
and how KISS was trying a little bit harder to expand their writing ability. I mean, they were up against it. They didn't have a lot of time to put these songs together. They recorded Hotter Than Hell. They went out on tour. Um, I think before the tour even ended, they were called back into the studio and said, we got to put out another album because Hotter Than Hell sales have stalled. And this is what you did back then. You put out two, maybe even three albums a year. Um, and if, if sales stalled, you went back in and you put out another album. That's why um, from 74 to 78, you know, Kiss has uh, six studio albums plus four solo albums plus a greatest hits album plus two live albums in the span of four years they have more albums than a lot of modern day bands or even a lot of bands from the 90s like i'll I'll use pearl jam as an example Uh, kiss from 74 to 78 have released more albums than pearl jam has in their entire career They've released more albums than Dave Matthews Band have in their entire career. Um, so, you know, it's just, just the way it went at the time. So Kiss didn't have a lot of time to sit there and really work on the songs and pick them apart. They kind of had to use what they had. They had to pound out something quick. Um, so if that meant you're just getting a couple of verses and a chorus and, and you're getting another song about sex... That's what they did. They they had to work with what they had, and they had to work quick, and they had to work lean, and they had to work mean. And when you look at all of those obstacles against them, and you sit down and you really listen to these albums, not as background music, but slip on a pair of headphones, um, you know, get your favorite drink in your hand, close your eyes, and really listen to this music, it's amazing that they were able to put out so many good songs considering the circumstances they were up against up against and so i just uh, commend them i mean they are my favorite band so i'm probably going to commend them for almost anything they do but really thinking about it as I've, i work through these first three albums it's it's very amazing what they were able to pull off uh the next song is anything for my baby and this was written by paul stanley and the vocals were handled by paul stanley and Anything For My Baby is a fun but forgotten kiss gem. Um, it's certainly a toe-tapping song. <laughs> Anything For My Baby is a song that uh, really doesn't get much attention, though. And if you ask a casual kiss fan to name, any casual kiss fan, to name the first 25 songs, 25 name the first 25 kiss songs that comes to mind, Anything For My Baby probably wouldn't be one of them. Uh, even diehard fans may not name this song in their first 25. And I'm not saying, you know, your favorite 25. I'm just saying, if I were to sit down a diehard Kiss fan and say, okay, name the first 25 Kiss songs that come to mind and go. I don't think anything for my baby would make it. That having been said, anything for my baby is a solid song. It's a great song. And I think that it's better than a lot of the 80s songs that the band recorded. Um, and this is a song that isn't about sex. This one is about love, as Paul starts to show off his romantic side. Um, He even states it in the first verse. I'm in love, and it feels so good. Um, And Paul goes on to tell you how he won't mistreat his woman, and how she helps him feel better when he's feeling low. And for that reason, he would do anything for his baby. Um, Again, this is a fun kiss song, uh, one that should get more attention. 
but in the lore of Kiss, it's probably going to remain a very forgotten, deep Kiss cut. And uh, be honest with yourself, um, you know, without going back and listening, can, can you even sing a few lines from anything for my baby? Can you remember how the song goes? Um, you know, even diehard fans might have to pause for a minute and go, wait, anything for my baby? How does that one go? And it's a great song. Um, I was happy to rediscover it. Not that I had ever forgotten it. I mean, I have Kiss's entire catalog memorized just from so many plays of all their songs. Um, but it's a song I wouldn't have, prior to this podcast, I, I wouldn't have named it as, if, if I had the challenge of name the first 25 Kiss songs that come to mind. I wouldn't have named anything for my baby. But it's still a great song. It's just, it's a forgotten song. And and Kiss has a lot of songs in their catalog like that because they have so many songs. I, I don't know the count off the top of my head, um, you know, but they're in the hundreds of songs recorded. Um, you know, in the three, four hundred songs recorded, so you're going to have a few songs that slip through the cracks and get forgotten. And that doesn't mean they're bad songs. It just means they're forgotten. Anything for My Baby is one of those songs. Next up is She. This was written by Gene Simmons and Stephen Cornell. And the vocals for She are handled by Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley. Um, Gene Simmons doing most of the vocals. Um, this She is another leftover from the Wicked Lester days that would go on to become a classic Kiss staple throughout the 70s. Um, it's another song, the second song that Stephen Cornell gets co-writing credit for as he wrote it with Gene during the, his time in Wicked Lester. Uh, the first song being Gone Blind, of course, uh, that we talked about on the last episode. And when I was growing up and really getting into Kiss, She was my favorite Kiss song. And I listened to it over and over and over again. Um, And when I made my first Kiss Favorites cassette mix at the age of 14, this was the first song that I put on it. Side one, track one, had to be She. And I would build the rest of my Kiss favorites from there. Um, Making mixtapes was so much fun back then. Um, I poured over every song and really had to think about what I wanted to put on the cassette because I only had 90 minutes to work with. You know, you have 45 minutes per side and you're compiling your favorite Kiss tracks and, you know, this cassette's going to go with you wherever. Um, I think a friend once put it to me, like, you know, when you make a a favorites mixtape, you're basically saying, these are the songs that I can't live without, and you're taking them on journeys with you with your Walkman. And and anyone who's old enough to remember the Walkman and remember making mixtapes, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, This day and age, it's so easy. You make a playlist and, and, like, five minutes or less you move a few songs around on the computer you hit save boom done you're good there's your playlist um i could make a kiss favorites playlist in in no time but back then back when i was 14 back in the 80s you had to sit down you had to record each single song and you had to stop it when the song ended otherwise you might bleed into the next song and ruin the mixtape and if you were ocd like me you'd have to start all over again 
Um, so a lot of work went into making a mixtape. Uh, so knowing what that first song was on the first side that was going to kick it all off was huge. And for me, she was the song. She was my favorite Kiss song. Um, it may still be in my top ten to this day. That's a list I will do towards the end of uh, all these episodes. I'm going to make a list of uh, my top ten Kiss songs and record an episode around that but um for now uh, i think it's still in my top 10 i know it's no longer my favorite kiss song but at the time it was um and it it's just it's a great song that i was going to love and um it was a great song to kick off that mixtape uh you know these were only going to be the best of the best um and so my first choice for the very first song on my very first first Kiss favorites collection was she. And um, of course the live version uh, um, is just so much better than the studio version. And I think it was the live version that I put on the cassette. I, I would have to if I even still have it, I would have to dig that out from somewhere and see. But I think I put the live version on because I did like the live version so much better. Um, I loved the bass and the drums in the middle of the song. And, of course, I loved the solos. And um, all in all, she's one of the most powerful Kiss songs of that era. And it's so much different than the Wicked Lester version that was recorded um, the Wicked Lester version was much softer. It had flutes in the background. I'm pretty sure they were flutes. <laughs> if I do do a podcast on the Wicked Lester album, I'll really listen and research, and I'll know for sure, but I think it was flutes. It's just, it, the, she, the Wicked Lester version of She is a completely different song than the Dress to Kill version of She. Um, and it, it was really, really cool to see how this song developed from the Wicked Lester days to the Dress to Kill album, and then ultimately to the live version. Um, you know, she's a song that Kiss could play in concert to this day, and I'll just, I'll go nuts. I absolutely love this song. Next up is Love Her All I Can, and this was written by Paul Stanley, and vocals were handled by Paul Stanley. And by this point in Kiss's early career, um, it, it was obvious that Paul had evolved to be the romantic of the group. Um, and this song, Love Her All I Can, is a clear ode on how to make a woman happy and subsequently get her to fall in love with you. Take notes, boys. This still applies today. You want to understand what makes the lady glad and you want to understand what makes the lady sad so that you know which to do. Don't ever make her sad, boys. Make her glad. And uh, yes, the lyrics are repetitive, and the verses are super short, and the chorus takes up way too much of the song, um, but that's okay for all the reasons I have already stated throughout this episode. Uh, The music's great, the solos are strong, and Love Her All I Can is just another forgotten gem that will end up being remembered only as a deep cut. Um, which is a shame because it's a great song. But even this is something I don't even think Kiss would pull out on the Kiss Cruise. You know, they have deep cuts and then they have deep cuts. And Love Her All I Can is a deep cut. And um, other than On Dress to Kill, 
you're probably never going to see or hear this song again. Um, and, and that's okay. You know, some songs we'll just fondly remember for when they were released, for what they were, and, and not every song gets a second shelf life. And so Love Her All I Can can be enjoyed when listening to Dress to Kill in its entirety. Um, and I particularly love Ace's solo on Love Her All I Can. I, I think it's one of the strongest solos on the album, um, if not one of the strongest from the first three albums. The Love Her All I Can guitar solo is just killer and um, really, really good stuff. Dress to Kill wraps up with the ultimate kiss song rock and roll all night now this was written by gene and paul and it was sung by gene and paul the vocals are handled by both uh, gene and paul and this is this is the kiss mantra this is their war war song this is their most well-known song their anthem um, it was released as a single from dress to kill with getaway being the b-side but it didn't take off as a massive hit. And it wouldn't take off as a massive hit until the live version came out um, as a single released from Alive. Uh, this The song Rock and Roll Night was written after Neil Bolgart suggested that Gene and Paul write a song that captures the energy of their live show. Uh, he wanted to see the band push themselves, come up with something that fans could identify with and, and rally behind, a rallying cry, a war cry. And Paul came up with the line, I want to rock and roll all night and party every day. And uh, he showed it to Gene, and Gene filled in some other parts uh, from some leftover uh, pieces of songs that he had been working on here and there. And over time, the song just kind of came together. Uh, During the recording of the song, Kiss had a large group of people come into the studio to help sing the choruses, and this included their road crew, uh, studio musicians, and Peter Chris's wife, Lydia, is even on there uh, singing the chorus to rock and roll all night. So that's a that's a pretty cool gem, and one I did not know before I, I researched uh, this song for the podcast. And so while the studio version's great, uh, the studio version would not be the mega hit that the band had hoped for, um, as stated, the live version uh, changes that and made the song the most well-known Kiss song to date and probably ever. Um, but the studio version did not accomplish that. It would take the live recording version to make this the Kiss song. Um, and the, the song would go on to appear on a, a lot of Kiss records, um, including Alive, and Alive 3, and Unplugged, and Alive 4, and You Wanted the Best, You Got the Best, and Alive Box Set, and then it would also be on Smashes, Thrashes, and Hits, Double Platinum, The Very Best of Kiss, Kiss Gold, and Kiss 40. It's the most overplayed Kiss song featured at live sporting events all over the country. Um, It's played on the radio regularly to this day. It's been in commercials. You can't get away from the song. Even now, in 2017, 2018, Rock and Roll All Night is is still everywhere. Um, And when you ask someone, you request someone to play a Kiss song, you say to someone, hey, play me a Kiss song. Of course, Rock and Roll All Night's the one they choose. Um, And there's not anything wrong with that. But as a Kiss fan, to me, this song's just been worn out. 
I appreciate what a great song Rock and Roll All Night is. I really do. But it's one of the few Kiss songs I'm just I'm tired of hearing. If I went to a Kiss concert and they didn't play Rock and Roll All Night, I would not complain. 97% of the audience might, but I wouldn't. I, I would say, wow, that's innovative. What a great idea to skip Rock and Roll All Night. But it, I get it. It's their signature song. They're not skipping it. The fans coming to the Kiss concert, they want to hear rock and roll all night. Um, I'm fine with that. I'm totally fine with that. I love the song. When it's on, I don't say turn it off. But it's a song that I've heard way, way, way too many times. Um, and that's okay. It's still still a great, great great kiss tune and it is the one that uh you know catapulted them uh, slingshotted them into uh the upper atmosphere where their career would take off so you know kudos to rock and roll all night um so that's gonna wrap it up for this episode of the psycho circus podcast episode three dress to kill um thank you for listening if you have a comment you want to share, again, you can email me at psychocircuspodcast at gmail.com, psychocircuspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, please be sure to go to iTunes and leave a review. Every review helps. And if you haven't done so already, please go subscribe to the podcast. If you want to check out my written works, you can check out rockandrollguru.blogspot.com. That's R-O-C-K-A-N-D-R-O-L-L-G-U-R-U.blogspot.com. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Ryo-V. That's at R-Y-O-V-I-E on Twitter. Um, no Facebook. Uh, not that I have anything against it. I just I never go on Facebook, guys. So I'm a Twitter junkie. I love uh, I love my Twitter. So social media, best way to reach me is on Twitter. Um, and then, of course, as I said, you can email me and you can check out uh, my blog. So uh, be sure to tune in next time when I cover Alive, the first Kiss Live album uh, that pretty much changed the world. And we'll get into that next episode. So until then, the carnival has just begun.